Just as the new year was beginning on January 2nd, 2020, 9-1-1 received a call from a distressed woman named Nikki Ensel. She returned home from work to discover that her house was on fire, fearing that her husband was still inside. Emergency services were immediately dispatched to the scene, where they found a very bizarre scene. At first glance, it appeared that Chad took his own life before the house was set ablaze. But upon further investigation, many things just did not add up, quickly making this a homicide investigation. Chad Ensel was described as a happy-go-lucky guy, always a smile on his face, a great worker and friend. Many were shocked to learn of his sudden death, but not as shocked by the announcement that he was murdered. The murderer believed that this poorly executed crime couldn't have been traced back to them. A case that is truly bizarre merely because of how delusional the culprit is. Unfortunately, there is still a lot that authorities do not know about this crime, with many questions still left unanswered. Welcome to another episode of Crimson Sin with Tamsin Lee. I am your host, Tamsin Lee. Full show notes and sources can be found at tamsinleecrimsonsin.podbean.com. And it can also be found in the description. Today's case is about Chad Ensel's life, which brings us to Bismarck, North Dakota. This case is truly bizarre, mainly in the fact at how poorly executed the crime was committed. But first, this episode contains references to suicide and domestic violence. If you or someone you know is experiencing these, do not hesitate to seek out help immediately. If you or someone you know is experiencing thoughts of self-harm, you can call or text the Suicide Prevention Hotline 24-7 at 988 to receive the support you need. Again, that is 988 you can call or text. If you call this number, it will automatically send you to the 1-800 hotline. And if you text, you can chat with someone. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, you can call 1-800-799-7233 or you can text START, S-T-A-R-T, to 88788. And you can also visit www.thehotline.org. If you visit the website, always remember to clear your browser history. These resources can also be found in today's show notes. On January 2nd, 2020, authorities received a 911 call at roughly 5.30 p.m. from a frantic woman named Nikki Ensel, stating that there was a fire at her home. She further stated that she believed her husband was inside, as his work had called her earlier that day to state he wasn't there, that he didn't come in. His truck was still in the driveway. She further stated on the phone that, She hadn't been home for the past few days. Nikki claimed that she had come home to check on him, but the house was too smoky and she could not enter through the door. Nikki did not know where her husband was, but she believed him to be inside the burning house. In Bismarck, North Dakota, during December and January, it is really cold. 
super cold. It's so cold that activities are held indoors due to the extreme cold. The wind chills can be anywhere between below 40 to below 50. Some residents even opt to take a vacation somewhere warmer during this time. That is how cold it is. With this climate in mind, North Dakota residents can experience depression due to the extreme cold and having to be cooped up inside. They also experience depression because the days become shorter. This also causes the people to start drinking excessively. So this causes law enforcement to see a rise in suicides. With that in mind, we're going to continue with today's case. Chad is described as a happy, bubbly person who was always smiling. He wasn't one to just sit down and not do anything. He was always interested in getting into any and everything. During the summer, he would race stock cars at a local dirt track on the weekend. And during the winter, he would play darts. But everyone who knew Chad said that his true talent was displayed on leak nights. Mondays and Thursdays, Chad would bowl. Chad had been married to Susie Ensel for 17 years before calling it quits. The couple did not have children together. She stated that his social life was causing friction between them. Susie furthered that near the end of their relationship, Chad was out a lot and when he was home, they didn't get along very well. So they both decided it would just be better if they went their separate ways. Chad's sister recalled that the divorce seemed to have hit Chad hard. One of his friends even stated that he appeared to be one of those people who needed to be in a relationship and feel loved. He was one of those people that it just didn't seem like he could live without that companion. Which I don't really think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, there are people out there always searching for someone to love, you know? They just want someone to come home to at night. Eventually, Chad did find love again. Another one of his friends stated that Chad would talk to him about this girl he met named Nikki. He had met her through a dating website and spoke highly of her. Unfortunately, she lived in South Dakota, but he would go visit her, and when he would come home, he was very happy. Chad really liked Nikki, and their relationship progressed pretty quickly. Everyone stated that their relationship just took off really fast. In what seemed like no time at all, Nikki quit her job at a nursing home and took her two children to live in North Dakota with Chad. Her children would even start calling him dad. It was stated that Chad really loved Nikki's kids. With this relationship taking off so fast, Chad mentioned to his sister that he was thinking about marrying Nikki. She was surprised at this announcement because they had not been in a relationship for very long when he was considering this. They did not have a big wedding, only inviting a select few people in 2016. The news of their marriage was a shock to Chad's family as they did not know about this wedding until after it happened. After the wedding, Nikki continued her baking business that she ran out of her home. 
But in 2019, she found employment through a place called Community Options, which helps individuals with troubled pasts to find a job. 42-year-old Chad Ensel worked at Interstate Power. It was a power diesel repair place located on the northeast side of Bismarck. And it was roughly a five-minute drive from Chad and Nikki's home. On December 31st, 2019, Nikki calls Interstate Power to tell them that Chad was sick. He wouldn't be at work. Because the next day is New Year's Day, the business is closed. So obviously she didn't get a hold of anyone. Then on January 2nd, he doesn't turn up for work at all. Chad's colleagues are worried about him and tried calling him, but there was no answer. So one of his co-workers decided to drive to his house to check on him. He was very close to a lot of people in his town. He had a lot of friends, so they were genuinely concerned about him. They couldn't make entry into his home, and there was no answer at the door. Chad's truck was still in the driveway with a frozen water bottle found inside, so obviously the vehicle had not moved in a while. They tried to call Nikki, but she wouldn't answer her phone either. The co-workers called authorities so they could perform a welfare check. Authorities come out to the house, but there is only so much they can do. They cannot just kick the door down without probable cause. So they checked the home from the outside the best they could. There didn't seem to be anything amiss, so there was really nothing they could do. They couldn't just go into Chad's home. Nikki gets off of work about 5 p.m. that evening to discover that her home is filled with smoke. There was no damage to the home on the outside, but the interior was filled with smoke. The fire department went inside and checked the downstairs where they discovered a fire on top of the metal casing of the furnace in the basement. The police sergeant on the scene stated there was this thick, thick layer of soot on the walls. And it was just so dark in that house that even their flashlights, you couldn't really see any details. It was as if the soot robbed the light. It just gives you this eerie feeling. The description that the sergeant gave, it just gave you, it gives you this eerie feeling like, like it's so dark that light is being eaten by the darkness. That's just crazy. When they go upstairs, they find that the majority of the damage is in a back bedroom. Opening the door, the room was blackened by smoke and soot. But according to investigators, if the bedroom door had been opened, the fire could have been so much worse. With the bedroom door closed, the fire could only be fed from the available oxygen inside that room. So once all of that oxygen was burnt up, the fire actually put itself out. However, investigators were able to find so much evidence underneath the soot. A propane tank heater was found close to the bed, which this is a type of heater that is normally used for locations such as a garage. It's not something that you would use inside a home because of how hot it gets. And besides the fact you know, the obvious of it being a propane tank. I mean, that's kind of dangerous. I don't think a lot of people would just put a propane tank heater inside their home and sleep next to it. That's just begging for disaster to happen. Investigators also discovered that the most damaged item in the room was the mattress, which had a shotgun laying on top of the bed. 
Also found in the room were whiskey bottles, but the most startling discovery was a charred, naked body on the floor. While the body is badly disfigured, there is no doubt to authorities that the male laying on the floor is Chad Ensel. It appeared that there could have been gunshot wounds to his body, but there was so much confusion at this point in time to digest and understand what had happened. Looking at the body, the police sergeant stated that it was obvious there was damage to the face and head area. However, the level of heat, char, and fire damage to the body, it was just so extensive that it wasn't clear what authorities were looking at. They needed to have an autopsy conducted in order to fully understand what had happened to Chad. The firearm that was discovered on the bed was a 12-gauge, open-under-break-action shotgun. The ammo used was birdshot pellets containing a large amount of small BBs, which is generally used to shoot foul game and small birds. Investigators also discovered pellets embedded in the wall near the headboard. This paired with the empty liquor bottles found at the scene, investigators thought maybe they were just dealing with a suicide. To the untrained eye, many of this would have came to this conclusion, right? I mean, there was a shotgun, there was bullets in the wall, he was lying on the floor dead, and there was empty whiskey bottles everywhere. And with the propane heater sitting right next to the bed, you would assume that he committed suicide and then the house just happened to catch fire because of the heater right there, right? But authorities had some questions about the scene. Where the shotgun was placed in relation to where the body was discovered seemed odd. The shotgun was just too far away from the body to be ruled a suicide. So forensics came to the house and was able to detect that there was possibly blood splatter on the floor. This trail was on the side of the bed where the shotgun was found, but traced on the carpet around the bed to where this body lay. They also found a bloody handprint on the wall. This information indicated that either Chad was dead and then dragged to the other side of the bed, or Chad injured himself and walked to the other side of the bed. This caused further confusion for authorities because where everything was placed just didn't add up for a normal suicide case. As authorities continued their investigation, they discovered that there were actually two fires in the house. The mattress was caught on fire as well as the furnace in the basement. Where the bedroom upstairs was located in relation to where the furnace is, there was no way that the furnace spread to the bedroom or vice versa. So they were immediately suspicious of both locations. To further the investigation, authorities called on the fire department who just so happens to have an accelerant detection canine. This dog is able to smell up to 60 different types of accelerants. The handler of the canine and the dog went to Chad and Nikki's home. As soon as the dog stepped foot into the master bedroom, he signaled to his handler that there was an accelerant involved. Authorities took a sample from the mattress and the floor and sent it to be examined. It was determined that there was a medium dissolute material in the room that could have been gas or lighter fluid. 
The fire that started on top of the metal casing of the furnace left behind a lot of debris, leading authorities to believe that there could have been paper placed on top to start a fire, or there could have been an accelerant involved as well. Authorities found that there was a piece of a cigarette carton laying on the floor next to the furnace. This led investigators to believe that this piece was used to ignite the gasoline. But Chad and Nikki were not known to be smokers. So where did it come from? This piece of the cigarette carton was collected and examined as well. It was also determined that it had an ignitable substance on it. Also, it is highly unusual for an accelerant to play a part in an accidental fire. We use these substances to purposely start fires. So, if this was an accident, why was the bedroom doused in it? Arson was now heavily suspected in this case. Another odd thing about the setup in the bedroom was that when the shotgun was moved, the bed sheet underneath was pristine. It was a white sheet that was untouched. Where Chad lay on the floor was the same way. There was a perfect, clean, untouched outline where Chad and the shotgun were at during the fire. Authorities determined that Chad was dead when the fire started because the spot under his body was protected from the heat and fire damage during the event. Same with the shotgun. But if he was still alive, it would make sense that he would move around. I mean, I don't know too many people that would just lay there without, you know, wriggling in absolute excruciating pain from being burnt. So I think it's safe to say that he was dead before the fire was started. Underneath the propane heater, investigators found multiple rings, which could have only happened if it had been moved. This means that if Chad was in fact deceased when the fire started, someone else was in the room to move the heater. Authorities requested an autopsy to be performed. They also needed to gain more information from Chad's wife, Nikki. The following Monday, while the autopsy was being conducted, Nikki actually showed up at the sheriff's office of her own accord. She requested to go back out to her home so she could grab a few things, which the sergeant on the case went with her. While heading out to the house, Sergeant Silbenegger decided to record the conversation he had with Nikki as she walked him through the crime scene. In the house, Nikki and the sergeant discussed the furnace. She was able to provide him with how the furnace was not working properly, which I have to admit is kind of strange that she would have video evidence of this. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess if you wanted to show a, a repairman how messed up your furnace is or something and be like, what should I do about this? I guess that could explain why she had a video, but still it's kind of strange because they usually just, you know, come out to your house. She then stated to Silbernager that Chad and her had gotten into a fight. And so because of the fight and the furnace not working, Nikki decided to stay in a hotel. She continued to explain that throughout her relationship with Chad, he drank very heavily. 
claiming that he would drink a case of Crown Royal and a case of Proper 12 a month. On top of that, she said he would also drink beer. This claim was kind of outrageous and very suspicious because at this rate, he would be highly intoxicated all the time, which made investigators wonder if he did drink this much, how could he have possibly worked? How could he have driven? And how could he have bowled and played darts? It just did not make sense. Nikki would also share with authorities pictures of injuries she had claimed she had sustained while Chad was drunk and abused her. But according to everyone who knew Chad, these actions were not in his character. His friends, family, and his ex-wife all held their ground that Chad being a drunk, hitting a woman, and being suicidal was a complete lie. While Nikki was giving the detective a walkthrough of the crime scene, he received a call from the medical examiner who decided to rule Chad's death a homicide, stating that he was shot twice with the shotgun. One wound went through his arm and into his neck, while the second wound was directly to the head. So if it was a suicide, someone wouldn't shoot themselves twice. I mean, normally during suicide cases, you don't hear about someone shooting themselves twice. Because the Ensels have a security camera, investigators are able to pull the footage from the house. So on December 30th, 2019 at 7.37 a.m., Nikki was seen at home with Chad. She stated that she came home to check on her husband and also see if the furnace was working yet. When she found out it wasn't, she told Chad she wasn't staying the night with him. She was still going to go back to the motel then. And then she left for work. At 7.53 a.m., Chad was seen leaving the residence. When he returned home from work at 5.06 p.m., he stopped at the house to grab items for his bowling league game that night. And then he left again at 5.46 p.m. A white Chevy Silverado pulled into the driveway. A vehicle no one seen before completely took officers off guard. Investigators then saw a man and Nikki get out of the truck, and go into the garage. The two could be seen walking in and out of Chad's home multiple times, loading the truck up with her personal items. Nikki claims that the man named Earl Howard was just a friend of the family, who is a contractor that lives and works in Canada. She further stated that they had met through her catering business and he was a customer of hers. Earl Howard was born and raised in Ontario, but went to North Dakota for work. He met a woman who would become his wife in Canada. At the time that he is caught on camera with Nikki, he is a married man with a nine-year-old child. Even though Nikki Ensel claims that her and Earl are just friends, the evidence investigators were able to obtain prove otherwise. Authorities were able to obtain surveillance footage from numerous places, including Nikki's workplace. On December 30th, 2019, at 11.48 a.m., Earl's white Chevy Silverado can be seen pulling into the parking lot to pick Nikki up for lunch. 
Another location investigators pulled footage from was Walmart, where the pair was seen kissing. In fact, the week before Chad was murdered, Nikki told her husband that she was going to be putting in some long hours at work for training, so he wouldn't be seeing much of her for the next few days. However, investigators were able to determine that Nikki wasn't even in North Dakota. Instead, she flown out to Minneapolis on December 27th to stay in a hotel with Earl, who had drove from Canada to meet her. While she was at the hotel, Nikki was texting Chad, telling him all about her training and everything except for being in a hotel room with another man. To which Chad would respond, telling her that she was successful in everything she did. And just providing this encouragement and praise for his wife. Which of course struck investigators as odd, since Nikki claimed that her spouse was abusive. In abusive cases, authorities don't usually see the supposed abuser saying such complimentary things to their partner. So again, it is strange that she claims he's abusive, but his actions prove otherwise, basically. When she returned home from her trip, Nikki stays in a hotel in Bismarck, stating that she couldn't stay in her house with Chad because of the furnace. But in reality, she showed up to the hotel with Earl. It was also determined that Earl was the one who booked the room. Investigators execute a search warrant from the hotel where they were staying so that they could obtain registration records, the key swipe information, and also more surveillance footage, which showed the both of them together. After reviewing all of the surveillance videos, authorities decided that it was time to discuss their findings with Nikki, mainly about her and Earl's supposed friendship, because it is pretty ridiculous that you claim this person is just a friend, yet so boldly kiss, hold hands, and show a more sensual type of relationship in public. Not to mention, flaunt it so directly in front of cameras. The lead investigator, Sergeant Silbernagel, calls Nikki to come to the station so that he can finalize some reports. So this is when things get really weird. Silbernagel informed her that Chad was murdered. She begins crying, asking who would do that and saying she just wants him back. During the interview, whenever Silbernagel brought up Earl or when she had been to the house and what time she had talked to Chad, Nikki's story started changing. Soon, Nikki would be asked if she was romantically involved with Earl, which she denied. This is when he accused her of lying. After about an hour to an hour and a half, Silver Nagel brought in an investigator from the Bureau of Criminal Investigations named Joe Ahrens. Once Silver Nagel introduced Ahrens and his profession, Nikki just said, Oh, I need to go soon. When Aaron's was called into the room, I feel like Silbernagel was kind of acting more like the good cop in the scenario, whereas Aaron's approached her in a more determined and confident manner. He told her, I was listening to the answer you gave him, and I can tell you right now you're lying. Her answers became 
even more questionable as she stated that Chad knew Earl and was fine with her staying in a hotel room with him. Granted, there are people out there who wouldn't have a problem with their wife staying the night with a male friend, but it has to be made apparent that Nikki and Earl were more than just friends. So anyone in a romantic, committed relationship would have a problem with this. This interview would take six hours to conduct, but Nikki claimed she was in love with Chad and missed him. She would continue to claim that there was nothing going on between her and Earl. At this point in the investigation, authorities believed that Chad was murdered during the early morning hours of December 31st, 2019. On December 31st at 1.09 a.m., Nikki and Earl was caught on camera leaving the hotel. Shortly after this, investigators know that someone entered the Ensel home. Unfortunately, they cannot determine who it was because the camera was set to privacy mode, but the security system door sensors were still active, so they know someone opened the door. The door leading from the garage into the house alerted that someone accessed the home at 1.11 a.m. The door remained open until 2.58 a.m. And I'm guessing the hotel was pretty close to where her home was, seeing as how it only took them like two minutes to get there. When questioned about this, Nikki stated that she had wanted to go get her medicine. Investigators questioned this claim because she keeps her medicine in her purse. She admitted that. But it is plausible that she forgot some of her medicines at home or she had ran out and needed to get a fresh new bottle. But it should not have taken her an hour and 40 minutes to collect it. To explain why so much time had passed by, she had claimed that she decided to do the dishes. This is when Nikki tells investigators that there was someone else in the house. The man she claimed was in the home that night called Chad Honey, implying that Chad was in a romantic relationship with another man. Silbernagel asked her why she had not told him about this before, to which she reasoned that she wanted her husband to have some dignity. Now the interview became even more bizarre as she began describing the man she claimed was in her home with Chad. She even went as far as having the investigators stand up so she could try to determine the unknown man's height. Nikki gave investigators what I feel was a very vague description of the man. They asked her to draw a picture of him, which she is no artist, so the drawing was essentially useless, right? However, I believe investigators had her draw this picture because they felt she was lying. If they truly believed that she was being honest, I think they would have had a professional come in. But up until this point, investigators felt that nothing coming out of Nikki's mouth was true. So after all of this, she finally tells investigators that she's ready to talk, which gave investigators some clues as to what may have actually happened in the house. Nikki claims that they went into the house at 1am when Chad and Earl got into this huge argument. She claims that after they got in this argument, she decided to go sit in her car and wait. When Earl came out a few minutes later, he told her that Chad was no longer alive. 
Nikki points the finger at Earl as the one who shot and killed her husband. After this, Earl came back to the Ansel residence to try and burn the house down. Authorities feel that there is some truth to what she is saying, at least some sort of version, but even from this supposed confession, they are not able to determine if the argument was actually about the gun, where anyone was standing in the house, nor could they say for certain if Earl or Nikki was the one who actually pulled the trigger. However, the interrogation is not quite over yet. Nikki then asks the investigators if she was going to be able to attend Chad's funeral, which was the following day. Needless to say, they were taken aback and appalled by her request. Of course, they told her no because she was going to jail. Investigators requested that she write down her statement detailing what occurred in that house that night. As she was told she would not be going to her late husband's funeral and that she's being arrested, Nikki grew angry and attempted to tear up her statement. After spending two days in jail, Nikki seems to have become a little more cooperative as she requests to speak with authorities again. Silbernagel questioned who came up with the entire plot. Again, Nikki points the finger at Earl. Investigators were still unsure whether or not all of this was Earl's idea and what Nikki's role and culpability in the murder was. Still, the investigators filed charges against both. But authorities have yet to hear Earl's side of the story as they were still trying to locate him, even asking the public for assistance in finding Earl Howard. In a shocking turn of events, Earl actually turned himself in at the U.S. and Canada border. So Silbernagel and another agent fly out to Michigan to question Earl, who was now in custody, and to get his side of the story. Investigators told him that this was his time to set the record straight, proclaim his innocence. Instead, Earl stated that he needed a lawyer. Eventually, he would tell investigators his side of the story. Earl stated that the first time he met Nikki was when he ordered some cookies from her. This would then turn into a romantic relationship. He told authorities that Nikki told him Chad was abusing her, so he was trying to help her move to Texas to get away. When asked what his intentions were after helping her move to Texas, Earl claimed that he was going to break up with her. He had no intention of leaving his wife to live with Nikki in Texas. Investigators then asked him if something happened in their relationship to make him feel the need to break things off with Nikki after moving her to Texas, to which he stated that eventually you could just sniff out the crazy. He claimed that it appeared as if Nikki wasn't all there all the time. Nikki continues to claim that there wasn't a romantic relationship between her and Earl, even though Earl admitted there was. However, authorities were able to obtain pictures and text messages from their phones that prove otherwise. But Nikki remains to say that Earl is not her type. But their relationship status is not really a high concern to authorities as they really want to know who was the one who pulled the trigger? Earl denied being the one to shoot the gun. He recounted that when Nikki and him pulled up to the Ensel home that early morning, Chad was still awake, watching TV in the living room. 
He claimed the interaction was cordial at the time and didn't go south until Earl told him that Nikki was going to leave him. This is when Chad became confrontational, saying what he thought before telling Earl to leave his home or he was going to call the police. Earl claims that after this, he went into the garage, sat in Nikki's car, and waited for her, which raised some red flags for investigators because According to Earl, the whole reason he was there was to protect Nikki from her supposed abuser. If that was the case, why would he leave her alone in the home? However, it is also worth noting that, you know, he was asked to leave somebody else's home. You know, he had no legal right to be there. To be unbiased, I will state that if this scenario is true, then he wouldn't want to be in legal trouble, right? But many doubt this. I mean, he's in legal trouble right now. So according to Earl, Nikki came out after that and they headed back to the hotel where she told him that she shot Chad. He responded to her saying, okay, I'll deal with it. He elaborated that Nikki did not ask for help. She simply stated that she had shot her husband and he said he would take care of it. Earl further claimed that at this point, he did not know or did not plan to tamper with the crime scene nor destroy evidence. Later that day, he returned with the plot to burn the house down to destroy everything. Earl stated that he went out to the garage, grabbed the propane heater, placing it next to the bedspread, lit it up, and then started spraying lighter fluid around. Once it was on fire, he walked out. However, he denied setting the fire in the basement, but investigators were able to place him in the basement. Earl was a smoker, and if you remember from earlier, I stated that there was a piece of cigarette pack on the floor near the furnace that was set on fire. He still denies setting the furnace on fire, even though investigators believe he did it. My personal opinion, yeah, he could have set the fire, but just because they found that cigarette pack doesn't mean that Nikki couldn't have easily done it. Initially, investigators wanted to try the pair together as both Earl and Nikki faced conspiracy charges. But the main reason for this was due to the fact that no one really knew who pulled the trigger or who planned the murder. Earl eventually took a plea deal to drop the murder charges against him, pleading guilty to conspiracy to commit murder, conspiracy to tamper with evidence, conspiracy to commit arson, and arson. In February 2022, Earl was sentenced to 25 years in prison. In September 2022, Nikki Ensel was set to stand trial for the charges against her. During opening statements, her defense team reserved their opening statement, which many thought was odd. With no opening statement, the defense did not argue their case against what the prosecution was accusing Nikki of doing. I think it is safe to assume that the state-appointed lawyer was not confident that Nikki had no part in her husband's death. This is merely speculation on my part because neither the defense lawyer nor Nikki had anything to really say against what the prosecution was accusing. Without presenting an opening statement from the defense, the prosecution then called on over 40 witnesses and showed over 300 exhibits, including Nikki's interview with authorities. 
Also presented to the jury was the renter's insurance policy that Nikki and Soul took out on December 26, 2019. She also sent Earl proof that she had taken out renter's insurance, which obviously there is really no reason for her to send this information to Earl. Prosecutors also called on one of Chad's friends who happened to sell life insurance. He stated that not long after Chad and Nikki were married in 2018, the couple took out two life insurance policies on Chad, the sum of which was $600,000. And of course, Nikki was the beneficiary. It was also made known that only a few days before the fire, Earl had purchased an oxygen acetylene torch kit. Investigators noticed this during their walkthrough of the home on January 2nd and also noted that both cans had been opened, filling the area in a means to blow the house up. Once the prosecution was finished presenting all the evidence and all of the witnesses, it was the defense's turn to bring in their witnesses, but the defense chose to rest. So really, what was the point in going to trial, right? What was the point in even bringing this to trial if she wasn't going to defend herself, you know? Instead, the defense provided a closing argument whose main focus was centered around the absence of Earl. It only took the jury two hours to reach a unanimous verdict. Guilty to conspiracy to commit murder. Guilty to conspiracy to commit arson. And guilty to conspiracy to tamper with evidence. While the verdict was read, Nikki appeared very disappointed to receive it, which in my perspective seemed kind of delusional, right? I mean, she didn't argue against anything that she was being accused of. The prosecution had all of the evidence and they didn't even put up a fight. Her side of the story regarding her whereabouts and what transpired that fateful morning changed nine times when she spoke to authorities. Nikki is well aware of how many times her story changed and seems to be quite proud of it. But what she does not seem to understand in this, that is the problem. There is no consistency to place doubt in anyone's mind. There's no consistency for anyone to be like, okay, well this side of the story doesn't change at all, so how could that have happened? No, it keeps changing leading anyone to be like, okay, only the evidence can speak for itself at this point. We can't trust a single word you're saying. We obviously can't trust a single word you're saying, so we're just going to have to take everything the prosecution is saying into account. So on February 17th, 2023, Nikki Ensel received her sentencing, receiving life imprisonment with the possibility of parole. The possibility of parole did not really set well with many. However, she will not be eligible until she is in her 70s. Do you think Nikki Ensel is guilty of the crime? Do you think Chad and his family received justice? Let me know your thoughts in the comments. Don't forget to like, follow, or subscribe to stay up to date with the latest bizarre crimes covered by me, Tamsin Lee. Your support is appreciated. Thank you for listening, stay safe, and I will see you for the next episode. Bye!